0: All right, folks. Welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Today, we have episode 332. Today, we're going to answer a few great listener questions we got. And with that, we'll go ahead and just dive on in. So here we go. I have no debt, no credit cards, and no student loans, but living paycheck to paycheck to pay utilities, rent, and bills what advice do you have should I to start saving for my retirement? This is from Danny. So Andrew, what are your thoughts on this excellent question?
1: Well, first off, Danny, you are in such a good spot, like to have no debt, no credit cards, no student loans. That's awesome. You have a clean canvas and, you know, not all of us have that opportunity. So Bravo, I would say, If I had to rank different wealth generating opportunities for most people, the average investor, say number one is probably a 401k. Number two is probably get yourself a good piece of real estate to live in the house. And then number three is Roth IRA and stocks and things like that. So if you can find a job that gives you a 401k and if it gives you a 401k match, that's 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 where you got to start. That's going to be the best place to start out of anything else. And so finding that, I know it's a lot easier said than done, but if you can work to become skilled, find skills that people pay for work to become skilled and then look for jobs where they will offer you benefits like a 401k, that's, that's going to put you ahead, especially if you can contribute more and more and more and, 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 advance in your career that will do a lot of great things for you. What, yeah. do you what do you think
0: yeah it absolutely will and and bravo for having no debt no student loan those those are those are big shackles for a lot of people when they're starting out and to not have those things is going to be very very beneficial for you in the long run and so that's awesome I, I guess and I, also that you're reaching out to us to ask us how you can start building your future, I think is also a great mindset to understand that, hey, this is something I need to do. A lot of people out there know that they need to start investing. A lot of people know they need to stop smoking. A lot of people know they need to exercise more, all those things. And and unfortunately, few people start those things. So I, I applaud you for, for starting out the game of starting to invest. And I echo everything Andrew was saying, start with a 401k If you have a job that has a 401k, if you're not investing in it, start tomorrow to doing it. We're recording on a Thursday. Go on next day, Friday, when you listen to this and start recording and start open your account. Uh, If they have a match, take advantage of it. We've talked about this in the past. That's free money that you're passing up. So anybody out there that is not investing in their 401k that offers a match, please go do so. Even if it's only 3% or 6%, the cool thing about it is the way that they do it is they take the money out of your paycheck before it hits your bank account, so you don't even see it. And so this is something that can silently grow for you for a very long time, and it can become a really big nest egg a lot quicker than you think it can, partly from the the power of, dollar cost averaging by continually putting money into the account and the match, just them giving you that extra money is a nice boost every, the way they did it at Wells Fargo was every quarter. And so I think, it, you know, every quarter you get a, you know, a bonus. So you get all this free money that they put in your account. And it's, it's pretty awesome stuff. So I know that when I work for the bank, I think I was able to get my 401k to, Around twenty thousand dollars or so in less than four years. Nice. And so that was you I mean that was awesome. And so that's that's fantastic and I, I applaud you for doing that. I guess the next part of it is if you're going to invest in the stock market, then I think you need to figure out what kind of investor you want to be. Do you want to be somebody that picks individual companies like Andrew and I do, do you want to do the work that's required to be good at that? Because it's not something you can do on Saturday afternoon and from two to four. You can, but if you're intending to buy 20, 30 companies, it may take you a while to get to the the level where you want to. And again, if that's really what you want to do, then you know more power to you. But I guess my point is is that You have to understand what game you're trying to play and what do you really want to accomplish out of this? If you want to invest because you know that's the best way to grow your wealth and the 401k fits your needs, by all means, invest in your 401k, call it a day and go on and do other things. If you want to invest in the stock market, but the idea of reading a 10k or financial reports or learning how, you know, United Health makes money leaves you cold then investing in index funds and ETFs is the way to go for you. And for most people frankly that's a best way to go and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, the market has has returned 10 11 12% over the last 3 years and who wouldn't want that? That is you know, if that compounds over the next 30 or 40 years that's that's a pretty good nice chunk of a change that you're going to earn. And so my I guess my point is is that You really have to figure out what kind of investor you want to be to start playing in the stock market. And there's lots of different avenues to pursue depending on which lifestyle you really want to embrace. And so once you figure that out, then really go into it and do what you need to do to start building your nest egg. And there's fantastic resources out there to do all three of those different things. And there is no one that is, air quote, better than the other. Andrew and I like individual stocks because we think that we like the game. We love learning about companies and we think that's the best way to grow our wealth. But we're also willing to put in the time We're we're going to do the reps that are necessary to get where we need to go. I think trying to, if that's not what you want to do, then do the other way. And there's no, uh, for whatever reason, there always feels like there's a a shame in not picking individual companies. And I think that's BS. And so I think you need to figure out what's best for you and embrace it and do it. And by starting off with no debt, you're in a great place to start, Danny. So uh, kudos to you. Don't have time to search the whole stock
1: market. Tired of waiting through endless information. Instead, get
0: my trusted stock picks at valuespotlight.com. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money. Not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system. Until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how old you are, Danny. Um, Something I haven't said in at least a couple months. So I'll throw it out there because it's something I've said since the beginning. You don't need a ton of money to start investing and you can actually generate a ton of wealth from a little bit of money if you have a long time horizon. So the one example that I've, so the one thing I've kind of hung my hat on this whole time is if you took, just $150 a month, and you put that into the market, and if you can earn 11% on that money over 40 years, now it sounds like a long time, but the the compound interest on that money growing at 11% a year, it turns into a million dollars. And we're just talking about $150 a month. As you get into your career and you have a bigger earning power, hopefully you can invest more and more and more, and your wealth can even multiply from there. So there's a lot of benefits to being in the stock market. It doesn't need to be a risky place to be in if you can understand how it works, how to do it correctly. That's what our show is here for. Ton of opportunity. So I would recommend building skills. There's probably other podcasts out there that help with career and networking and advancing and getting more income and stuff. And then also just starting early if you can and putting money away and being consistent, building it, making it into a habit. This isn't something you're just going to figure out, do tomorrow, and then you're done with it for the rest of your life. This is a lifelong thing. You always have money around you, build the habits, do the right things. And
0: I think you'll be very, very happy with the results. Yep. I agree. I agree. I think a lot of people think that they need to hit it big Or find the next Amazon slash Google slash Netflix, whatever. Insert company B here. If you improve 1% every day, as James Clear talked about in his fantastic book, Atomic Habits, you'll markedly improve your life, whether it's with health, whether it's with finance, whether it's with building your knowledge, all those things compound. And so if you just give yourself the opportunity to compound, you will improve in immeasurable ways in your life. And so I encourage you and anybody else that's listening out here to kind of embrace that idea that if I can just get a little bit better every day, if I could do 22 pushups instead of 21 the day before, that's 1% better. And if you can do 23 the following day, that's 1% better. You don't have to go from 20 to 722 in a single day to, to improve your health. And so I think, what gets lost in our our hurry hurry rush rush you know lifestyles now is that by just being consistent showing up every day doing the work you will improve you will get better every single day um i'm going to give you a real real uh, a story here so one of my one of my favorite basketball players was a guy a kid named, oh a guy a guy named jeff hornasek who yeah m- most of Utah you out, yeah most of you out here are, other than andrew are probably like who so, he played for the Utah Jazz and the Phoenix Suns. And he went to Iowa State, which is where I grew up. And he was not he was far from the most talented basketball player out there. Far from it. But he was good and he had some skills. And he 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 excelled at Iowa State, but when he went to the NBA, he wanted to up his game. And so he and his wife every day in the off season went out and shot 10,000 shots a day. 10,000 shots a day, and he transformed himself into a pretty good player to an all-star who ended up having a great career and competed with guys like John Stockton, Carl Malone, Michael Jordan, and was able to play with those people on an even level. Well, was he Michael Jordan? No, of course not. But my point with all this is that he put in the effort and he tried to improve a little bit every single day. And if somebody like he can do that, then we all can do that. And to me, I've always found that very, very inspiring. And so I think that's something that you need to always kind of keep in mind when you're trying to start off anything new, is that just try to improve a little bit every day and you'll be astonished at what you can accomplish in, in a short amount of time. I, I love that example. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah
1: you know, the the younger younger generation might not picture who you're talking about, mm-hmm. but not exactly like the most athletic specimen that you'd expect to see in the NBA. No, no, no. If you
0: you saw pictures of him, if you Google him right now and look at him and go, that dude was an (laughs) all-star? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he was quite good. I love that. All right. So let's move on to the next question. So here we go after listening to you all for some time and reading multiple books from Peter Lynch, I find myself scratching my head when it comes to the below. So there's two parts to this. So the first part is the best way to approach when to sell a stock. And this is from Ryan. So, and I found Ryan on LinkedIn. So I I didn't find him. He reached out to me on LinkedIn. So Andrew, how do you approach when to sell a stock?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And I do think Ryan, it, it probably will be a little bit personal to you. And if it, Changes over time, I think that's okay too. But I think spending the time to establish a selling discipline in your p- stock picking, I think that's going to go a long way. And I, to me, I mean, I don't know. I've had it for so long that it's kind of become second nature. But I do wonder if that alleviates some of the anxiety I have around the stocks I own. Just to know is like, all right, if things go wrong, this I make a mistake, I have an out, I have an exit plan. Um, one of the things that my turn for terrible for my own terrible story, not your stories were good. (laughs) Uh, when I first started getting really serious in the squatting and, uh, you know, doing a lot of weight, that's really terrifying for somebody like me who had not squatted before. And one of the guys I'd followed online made the recommendation, um, fail on purpose. So put the, put the little, um, the little rail things that catch the bar mm. and then just fail on purpose and see what it's like. And then when you realize they're like, Oh yeah, these things actually like catch you and there's no, there's no pain from failing all of a sudden it's like, okay, well I can push and really try to lift a lot of weight and, and I'll be okay. So kind of like knowing what the worst case scenario is helped alleviate some of the anxiety for myself. And so I think if you can do that for when to sell a sock, um, that might help you hold on to stocks and be confident when you do buy stocks. So one of the one of the systems I started to implement very early on was all right, I have some some situations that are going to make me consider either completely selling this or really looking at a stock. And so for me, that's if a company goes from positive earnings to negative earnings and if they cut their dividend. And there's not a good reason for doing either of those things. So for, uh, to go, for a company to go from positive earnings to negative earnings, it means they once were profitable and now they're not. That's usually a sign that, okay, something's going on here. Depending on the type of stocks you buy, that might not be a great strategy, but I found that for me, I tend to stay away from those type of stocks that have huge swings just because that's how I like to invest. And so that worked for me. Maybe for somebody else, it looks differently, but to have, I think there's a lot to be said for having rules and boundaries and whatever those are, if they're based on history and and what you understand about the history of the markets, I think looking at earnings and looking at dividends is a great place to start. Um, How about you? Like, do you have things that make you consider selling the stock?
0: Ah, uh, yeah. So there are a couple of, there are a couple of things that I think about. No, number one, uh, I've talked about this a little bit in the past and I'll throw this out there again. I read this recently and this is, I think a phrase that really kind of stuck in my head. And I think it's a really good way to kind of think about the whole idea of selling. So this person said, when you buy, you should buy slowly. When you sell, you should sell even slower. And I really like the kind of the concept and the idea behind that because I think a lot of people make the knee jerk reaction to sell when there's something bad happening, either at the company per se or in the overall market slash economy slash global news, whatever, you know, it may be. And Andrew talked about this in the last episode where the idea of macroeconomics can There's always something bad going on, whether it's something poor news from some particular economy or whether it's the unfortunate news that there's a war or wars going on. Uh, there's just there's always bad news and there's always a air quote reason to sell. But I have found that the best reason not to sell or to, I guess, a filter is to think about has anything fundamentally changed about the business? Has the company that you're talking about gone from selling this particular service or this particular widget to selling pizza? And it's like completely opposite to what it is that they do. And if that's not the case, then I try to really think more about the reaction of what it is the business is trying to do And how is this news really impacting the company? And a lot of times you will read, you know, if you go to any particular website, it doesn't matter which one, you'll see all kinds of different commentary and news about this company and that company. And sometimes it's warranted, sometimes it's justified, but sometimes it's not. It's just, you know, so-and-so has, you have to realize that everybody has a motive and A motivation. And so somebody that may be super negative on the company, they may have owned the company for a long period of time and they've been burned because they haven't gotten a good return from the company. So now they're bitter. They're bitter about the company. And so anything that comes out of their mouth is going to be negative. And if you read that and you react to what their reaction is and their situation is without doing your work and your due diligence on why that particular company is bad, then you're, you're just kind of feeding into the herd mentality. You're following, you know, where everybody else is going. And to be a productive long term investor, you really have to, you really have to embrace some idea of contrarian- contrarianism. It's easy for me to say, and you really have to understand why it is you own the company. That's why I kind of preach this idea of writing something down, putting it on your iPhone notes or writing it on a Google doc or a word document or putting it out online, you know, social media, whatever, somewhere where you document, why did I buy this company and why I really like this company or I don't like this company. Because when you document it like that, our memories are not as great as we think they are. And sometimes in the heat of the moment, we may think, oh, I thought this, but you really didn't. And so if you go back and have that documentation, you can look back at yourself and go, oh, okay, that's what I said. And that can help sometimes avoid you kind of going with the herd and 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 buying it. I would say probably selling is probably the hardest thing to do in investing. I, I think buying is easier because it's easier to be excited about a company. Mm-hmm. It's a far, far harder to sell something, especially after you've owned it for a while or really liked it. The product, the stock, you've made money on it. All those things can, can. Leak into our bias about what we feel about a particular company. Let's say that the CEO is somebody we really like and admire and they leave and the person that takes their place is maybe even better and even more qualified than the other person, but we sell because, you know, the leader left. You know, there, there's, this is something I'm going to have to face probably unfortunately sooner than later is that. You know, Charlie Munger has has passed, and at some point, Warren's going to pass, and he's not going to be driving the bus with Berkshire, and that's one of my best investments. And I'm going to have to deal with how how do I deal with that? Am I automatically going to sell? Nope. But it doesn't mean that I'm not going to certainly watch it a lot more closely, maybe than I do now. So I think there's lots of different reasons why to sell, and. I know Peter Lynch has some good ones. Uh, one that I would really look at would be Philip Fisher. Uh, he wrote a book called, uh, uncommon stocks and com, no, common stocks and uncommon profits and a fantastic book. And you can find his, his checklist for both to buy and to sell, uh, with a simple Google search. And he has some great rules, like f- four or five rules that you can kind of use to adhere to help you kind of guide your selling decisions. So those are some of my thoughts.
1: What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. Yeah, the, if I could just beat that horse one more time, the idea of... Beat away, baby. (laughs) (coughs) That idea that you ask yourself, has anything fundamentally changed with the business, it's a hard it's a hard one, but if you do see it, I think it's important to act on it. I mean, I've talked before about this company. I won't say the company itself right now, but I had a company where the CEO decided to use eight years of free cash flow to buy another business, and this business paid out a special dividend before being acquired, which is weird because all the cash evaporates. So it's a very fundamentally different situation than what it was before, had to sell. And then, oh, what happened to the stock? It went from 25 when I sold to 40. So some of the tough things you do have to deal with, and it is hard. um, Part you, You talked about how it's really hard to sell. Part of the reason why it's really hard is because you have to accept the fact that you made a mistake and that becomes real when you sell. And you also have to accept the fact that the market might not agree with your sell and that the company probably will, the stock probably will go up from when you sell because that's what the stock market does over a long period of time. So I think being being aware of what's going on with your stocks, having having those things in place in mind, like you said, to have things written down, reasons why you own it, reasons why you would sell it, those are all, I think, very, very important in and making sure that your investments overall over the long term are going to work out in the way that you would
0: hope. Yep. I agree. I, I think those are, I think those are, I think all the things we talked about are really great reasons and ways that you could help work through whether you want to sell a company or not. And if you do decide to, to sell the company, try really hard to move on. Don't be a lurker. <laughs> don't be like, you know, don't look for the X on social media and see if their life is better or worse since you left because it'll only make you miserable. And so if you sold a company, you made a decision, move on because you can't go back and, and, and alter what's, what's happened in the past. And if you let what happened in the past, affect your future decisions, then you're just letting that company win, you know, <laughs> so to speak, if you will. So I think trying to it, try to learn from your mistakes, certainly, but try not to dwell on them. And that's really h- easy to do. And it's natural. And you know, we've all been there and just try really hard to work past. Trying to, to dwell on, Oh, I shouldn't have sold this company. I shouldn't have sold Amazon. What the heck was I thinking? Um, it happens to all of us and try to learn from why did I sell it? What, what was that possible mistake? And how can I not repeat that in the future? And I think all those things will go a long, long ways to, towards your success as an investor. Oh,
1: 100, 100%. La- last thing that'll shut up about this. I kind of assume this because uh, this is what I've done for so long, but I think it should be said that if you are in the accumulation phase like we are and you're trying to build a portfolio for the long term, when you sell, make sure you're reinvesting into something else because when you start to get into this mindset of if you're selling and then you're holding cash, now you might, you know, you would have been better off if you just indexed and held for the long term. Don't try to play this market timing game make sure if you're if you're selling something you're putting it into something else so that you have that 100% stock allocation that I like to to have so that you're you're not losing out to if you just bought an index fund and bought and hold cuz that's I think that's a big pitfall you can fall into as a stock picker so
0: don't do that yep exactly please don't do that <laughs> all right let's move on to the second part of the question so we have would love to understand how to achieve a better understanding of how to figure out a business's future value slash stock price. So again, this is from Ryan, and this is a fantastic question. So, Andrew, I'm going to let you take a first stab at this.
1: I mean, how much time do you have, Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> right. You want to uh, talk for another 400 episodes because yeah, exactly. we totally <laughs> could. <laughs> totally could. Um, it's a never-ending process, probably. More so than what you actually do, maybe is the mindset you have and the habits you put into place to achieve it. So I think having a curious mind, always trying to get better, uh, to go for full circle on what you're saying, Dave, like get 1% better every day. Um, that's going to be, uh, it's going to be probably your most valuable asset. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What are your thoughts? Oh boy. Um, when you start to lots, when you start to go down the rabbit hole of trying to figure out what a company is worth and at what price I should try to buy it, I think you really need to figure out, you need to, you need to learn some of the different methods and try to embrace a few of the methods. The typical ones, uh, kind of fall into the relative valuation idea. So when we talk about that, we talk about the metrics. Price to earnings ratio, price to free cash flow ratio, price to book. Uh, some of those kinds of things are really great ways, especially for beginning investors to try to get in a sense of what this company is worth. As you get a little more comfortable with financial statements, you can start to look at ideas like a discounted cash flow or DCF. You can look at a reverse DCF, which is a great way to kind of find out what the market expects for the company to do. And it really comes down to kind of figuring out kind of the science of valuing a company or figuring out what a good price is to buy and then really putting in the reps. You need to spend time doing it. Uh, I probably do five to 10 DCFs a week and I, I do them a lot and it's part of my air quote screening process to try to find companies that could be potentials that I want to learn more about. And hopefully over time, I've gotten better at doing those because I've done it more and more and more and more. Am I always right? Nope. Am I going to make mistakes? (laughs) Absolutely. And I think the thing you need to remember is that any model is only as good as the inputs that you put in it. And so garbage in garbage out. And So I think the better idea is to understand that those models, whatever they may be, I mean, you you could choose a litany of different kinds of ways to, to find how much a company is worth. But I think the, the bigger idea is to understand the drivers of what the value of the company is and try to really learn as much about those as you possibly can. And then. Understand that the models that you're using to try to figure out a value of a company are only as good as the inputs we put in and that they're going to be filled with our biases, our thoughts, our loves, our likes, our hates, whatever, are all going to be filtered into that and never, ever, 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 ever buy a company based on doing a DCF or discounted cash flow model. And the company comes back and you, you figured out that the value is $52.84 and it's trading for $52.82. And you're like, awesome, I'm going to buy it. No, it's more about figuring out a range of values than a precise value. It doesn't exist. Don't worry about it. Put it out of your mind. And you know, any of those of of you that are listening that are OCD, please step away from the DCF and understand that it needs to be more of a range of values uh, that are potentially possible than a specific value because it doesn't exist. And if you try to minutia get to the, you're, you'll drive yourself crazy and you also will miss out on potential great opportunities by focusing on the minutia as opposed to worrying about the big picture value of Okay, Apple just created an iPhone. This is going to be the greatest invention in the history of mankind, but you're worried about your DCF coming back with a value of thirty two dollars as opposed to thirty-four dollars. Uh, you know, I, I I hope you get catch the drift I'm putting down is that don't miss the forest for the trees. And try to really focus on what's more important, which is the bigger picture of the business than this specific value that you can find using these different kinds of methods.
1: Yeah, because the DCF does look at free cash flow, which is a statement of fact. You can look up those numbers. But it also depends on you putting in as an input what you expect the growth rate to be and what the discount rate is, both of which can be debated. Endlessly, endlessly for every company
0: and <laughs> every company endlessly. So I, what I really
1: liked about what you said, I liked all of it, but you talked about the drivers of value. And so maybe we can wrap up. You can talk about an example of that. Maybe a company like Watsco, which is not as obvious as like Apple and the iPhone. Um, how would a beginning investor look at a company like Watsco and be able to determine, okay, these are the, this is the driver of value that's going to drive the future stock price mm-hmm. if things go well for the company. How how would you how would you define that?
0: Well, you really have to understand when you think about trying to value a company, there's really kind of three main according to Professor DeModerin, there's three main drivers of value of a business. Number one is going to be the revenue growth. Number two is going to be the reinvestment opportunities that the company has. And the last part is going to be the risk. And you have to kind of account for all those when you're trying to value a company. And But the biggest driver across any industry, any sector, any company is going to be revenue growth and the expectations that the market has for that particular revenue growth. One of the things that has really driven the value of Tesla over the last Eight, nine, 10 years has been the revenue growth of the company. And so that's really been the biggest driver, but it really started to achieve profitability and that's become maybe more of a secondary driver. So when you look at a company like Watsco, for example, complete antithesis to a company like Tesla, they don't grow as fast. It's in the, you know, refrigeration business, if you will, and kind of a air quote boring business, but The revenue growth is still the biggest driver for that business, whether it's a Watsco, whether it's a Tesla, whether it's a Netflix, all those things are all being driven by the revenue of the company. And when you think about the revenue drivers for a company like Watsco, you have to really understand the business and the business model and what it is that they're really trying to do. They don't necessarily sell air conditioners, but they kind of do. And they kind of sell the parts to fix the air conditioners. And so they aren't necessarily the, the customer facing people that we as a home buyer go and buy an air conditioner from, you know, they help service carrier and train, right? Carrier is the big one. And then there are several other big OEMs. All right. So sorry about the train, but carrier is one of the biggest producers of air conditioners globally. And, Watsco is one of the dealers for them. And so they have this very unique business system that allows them to continue to innovate and grow, and they are part of the value chain of air conditioners. And they're a very important, integral part of the value chain that most people aren't familiar with. They don't grow at like 38% a year, but it's a fantastic business. It's family-owned. Uh, the gentleman who started the company back in the 50s, I believe it is, is still running the company today. Um, So, it, I mean, it's it's a ridiculous business. But the way that I would value a company like Wasco is looking at the revenue growth of the company and trying to figure out if that is A, sustainable, and B, what about their business model allows them to continue to succeed after all these years. And that is really what I guess, really kind of sets them apart from other companies in their industry, like Ferguson or Carrier or Train or other companies. Um, I guess, what are your thoughts on what I'm talking about?
1: Yeah, it's all spot on. I mean, that important distinction, obviously, you can get really detailed into it. But at the end of the day, you have to believe that customers tomorrow are going to pay more for an AC unit than they pay for today. And if you understand that industry, you know that each unit's more and more energy efficient. So customers are saving money on their energy bill by having more efficient ACs. So there's the driver on the, on the sales side. And then you understand that, are they going to buy from Watsco? Well, Carrier and Watsco are hugely strategic partners. Do people love Carrier? Yes. If they do, then they'll, they'll buy from Watsco. So it, it does take kind of knowing the business to, to make those conclusions, but you can make broad conclusions like that. And that helps investors and in Watsco go like myself and Dave to understand that. Okay. As long as these drivers are in place, I feel pretty good about holding the business because there should be revenue growth there. And there's, it's not rocket science to how that revenue growth is going to happen. Like we can, we can lay it out once we understand the business. And so when I think of valuation, like from the most Basic sense: mm-hmm. Is this business going to be more profitable or less? Sometimes it comes down to just those simple things.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't have to be. I think a lot of times we we feel like it needs to be super complicated. Yeah, and we we need to make it super hard, and we don't get style points at the end for being you know the most difficult and complicated and complex. It's all about being successful at what we do and what the company does, and. I, I, I go back to this quote from Albert Einstein. Make it as simple as you can, but no simpler. And I think that really kind of sums up how we need to think about valuation. You don't need to, you don't have to have the hardest, most complicated model in the world. I think if you figure out the inputs that matter for valuing a company, And go with those. And if it's only three or four, then, hey, that's all you need. You don't need to have 17 data points to to figure out the value of a company. Yeah, very well said. All right. Well, with that, we will go ahead and wrap up our show. I wanted to thank Danny and Ryan for taking the time to send us those fantastic questions. Please keep them coming. This is a lot of fun for us, and hopefully you guys get some value from our answering your questions on the air. If you would like to answer any of those questions, please, or us, sorry, to answer any of those questions, please send them to newsletter at einvestingforbeginners.com. I will put the link in the show notes so you'll be able to see it on your iPhone or Samsung phone as well as online. So with that, we'll go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety. The emphasis on the safety. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you all next week.
1: We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com.
0: No purchase necessary. DGW report prohibited by law. See terms and conditions
1: 18+. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.